So today we're looking at chapter 3, and I've titled this chapter Working with God, and you'll see why soon. But first, previously, in Ruth. More than a decade ago, before the present events, during the reign of the judges in Israel, a tribesman from Bethlehem fled from famine to the neighbouring country of Moab. There he died, leaving his grieving widow with two sons, who married local girls, Ruth and Orpah. Ten years later, still childless, the two sons also died. Naomi was left completely empty. Hearing that the famine had broken in Bethlehem, Naomi returned, leaving Orpah behind with her own family, but trailed by a determinedly loyal Ruth. Ruth soon found herself under the protection of one of Naomi's relatives, Boaz, who helped both women by supporting Ruth as she gleaned in his fields. The fortunes of the two widows seemed to have turned, and Naomi insisted that Ruth stick to Boaz's field. So, at the end of chapter 2, we saw that Ruth worked alongside the women in Boaz's fields and gathered grain with them until the end of the barley harvest. Then she continued working with them through the wheat harvest in early summer. All the while, she lived with her mother-in-law. And now, we come to the start of chapter 3. Ruth has been gleaning in Boaz's fields for perhaps seven weeks, and we can assume that the two women now have enough grain to last them for the rest of the year. It's now Pentecost, the end of the wheat harvest, And the two women remain in the precarious situation of all widows, even with sufficient grain for food. What can they do? Why hasn't Boaz done anything up until now, other than allow Ruth to get lots of grain? So, scene one, Naomi's secret plan. Naomi... Naomi is still focused on the opportunity to secure her daughter-in-law's future. And so she hatches a secret plan to get Ruth married. Of course, she can't keep it secret from Ruth. So, one day, Naomi said to Ruth, My daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for. Boaz is a close relative of ours and he's been very kind by letting you gather grain with his young women. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Now do as I tell you. Take a bath and put on perfume and dress in your nicest clothes. Then go to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until he's finished eating and drinking. Be sure to notice where he lies down. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down there. He will tell you what to do. Now we're so familiar with this story that it's sometimes hard for us to remember just how weird some of it is. (laughs) This plan is one of the weird things. Like, What a weird plan. Naomi's telling Ruth to get dolled up, wait for Boaz to finish feasting and and lie down, and, and then go lie at his feet and... And somehow this will cause Boaz to tell Ruth what to do. 
whatever that means. <laughs> now, certainly much of the strangeness of this plan is a part of our cultural differences. We don't sleep outdoors at harvest time, for example. We don't, uh, we don't choose... This is a threshing floor. This is what it looks like in the daytime. We don't choose dark threshing floors as a place to make romantic engagements. Although, come to think of it, I guess that sounds a bit like a nightclub. <laughs> but, <laughs> don't, yeah. <laughs> so when your when your kid says I'm going I'm going to a dark threshing floor, they actually mean they're going to a nightclub. Um, but much of the strangeness was actually strange even when this book was written, and we miss it because of the cultural differences. So what wasn't strange was getting dressed up and smelling nice, right? That's, that's always appreciated by men, right? We, we tend to prefer our women smelling nice, nicely dressed and clean rather than dirty and smelly and haggard. <coughs> well, most of us do. Some commentators point out that Ruth's clothing wasn't actually, uh, wasn't really what a potential bride would have worn. It, it wasn't like she put on a bridal gown. But at the very least, Naomi was instructing Ruth to dress like somebody who no longer wanted to be a widow. So at the very least, she was sending the signal to Boaz that she was interested in marriage. And even though it's weird for us, and potentially scandalous back then, the threshing floor was a convenient place for a private conversation between Boaz and Ruth. It was actually pretty hard to achieve that sort of thing. There weren't really many opportunities for men and women to have private conversations. So Naomi made one. She didn't have to worry, of course, about Boaz taking advantage of Ruth because he had been such a stand-up guy for seven weeks now. And uh, But it, you can still sort of sense that there are sexual overtones here, right? The really strange part actually comes at the end. You see, there are several phrases that for ancient Hebrews would have been seen as extremely suggestive. We're talking lewd stuff here, like, you know, like watching cable TV. (coughs) The first is Naomi's mention of Boaz lying down. Now, all through this encounter, we read about Boaz and Ruth lying down and sleeping. There's, there's, there's a bucket load of occurrences of that verb. Uh, in Hebrew, the word used for this has sexual connotations, just like the word sleep in English. Right? In English, sleeping with someone usually doesn't mean that you slumbered side by side. Right? And in Hebrew, this word, shakav, uh, shares the same connotations. In fact, in fact, the Hebrew word is even worse than the English word because shakab, when it does refer to sex, which it quite often does, always refers to illicit sex. There's actually another Hebrew word which is translated into English by the word no, which refers to legitimate sexual relationships. So... This constant reference to lying down and sleeping is very suggestive. 
So why would Naomi be giving Ruth such provocative instructions? But that's not all. Naomi instructs Ruth to uncover Boaz's feet. Now that sounds a bit strange to us, but to ancient Hebrew word, ears, it, it, this is an outrageous double entendre. You see, the Hebrew word for uncover was most often used to talk about uncovering someone's nakedness, which sounds bad by itself, right? But it's even worse than that because that's a euphemism for having sex with someone. And although the Hebrew word is a little different here, feet were often a euphemism for man's genitalia. So Naomi's instructions, which seem merely a little strange to us, would therefore appear to a Hebrew reader to be outrageously suggestive. In fact, when I was searching for pictures, it's obvious that artists have picked up on this. So there's lots of pictures of Ruth who is, yeah, rather naked, basically. But not just naked, but sort of like provocatively naked. Don't search for Ruth and Boaz. <laughs> so does Naomi think that she can somehow do God's work? So, uh, sorry, there's, there's actually one little bit more. Naomi goes one step further, right, and tells Ruth to lie down at Boaz's feet. Now, not, is, not only is lie down a euphemism for having sex, as we've said, but it only means, but even if it only means that she's supposed to recline horizontally at Boaz's feet, that's still an outrageous act in ancient culture. Good women simply didn't go around reclining at good men's feet, no matter whether no matter where they are or what time it is, unless, of course, they're married. But just so that we're all on the same page. Ruth and Boaz, not married. Does Naomi somehow think that she can do God's work, that she can sort of trap Boaz in this snare? Or is she simply speaking in a provocative way to make clear to Ruth what the end game of this is? We don't know. But Ruth had every right to look at Naomi and say, What? 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 Instead, I will do everything you say, Ruth replied. And Ruth does do just what Naomi told her to do. In scene two, Ruth's secret plan, we learn a little bit more about Naomi's cleverness and Ruth's. So, in the text, we see Boaz leave his dinner with a merry heart. Huh? Naomi knew that the best way to a man's heart is through his stomach, and she factored that into her plan. She was, she was not, she was a canny widow. So after Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he lay down at the far end of the pile of grain and went to sleep. Then Ruth came quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. So we also gain an insight into the provocative act of uncovering Boaz's feet. You see, with his feet uncovered, Boaz is guaranteed to wake up. 
sometime during the night, disturbed by cold feet. He will then encounter Ruth. And of course, this is what happens. In fact, it's this part of the story that reassures us that Naomi was not, in fact, asking Ruth to initiate a sexual encounter because Boaz behaves exactly like a man who's been rudely awoken by cold feet only to find a strange body there. It says, Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over. He was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. But here... Ruth changes Naomi's plan. Remember, in Naomi's plan, Boaz was supposed to tell Ruth what to do. However, Ruth has something for Boaz to do. Who are you? Boaz asked. I'm your servant, Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. Now, there's a lot in this simple request from Ruth. So let's unpack it. First, we should recognize that Ruth is identifying herself as Naomi's family. Boaz is, after all, Naomi's family redeemer. So if anyone still thought Ruth identified herself with Moab, that idea is completely put to rest here. Ruth is Naomi's daughter, and therefore Boaz's responsibility. The second thing to note is the phrase, spread the corner of your covering over me. In the ESV, it's translated, spread your wings over your servant. Why does one translation say corner of your covering or corner of your cloak, and the other wings? Well, the answer to that is that the word for cloak corner, it's one word, sounds a lot like the word for wings, obviously in Hebrew, not in English, just in case you were wondering if I'd just gone crazy. So the Hebrew words sound a lot like each other, and the author is using this pun to cleverly refer back to Boaz's blessing for Ruth. Remember, Boaz said, May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings... You have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. And Ruth is now asking Boaz to spread his cloak corner, which sounds like wings, to shelter her, to cover her. The author is, through this pun, pointing out that Boaz is actually being used to deliver the blessing that he asked for, for Ruth. Puns, you see, are important, and you should always value them. That's just my moral from that story. Let's not get carried away, though. What was Ruth making this change to Naomi's plan for? What was the point of it? Remember that Naomi's goal was to get a secure home for Ruth, right? Well, Ruth's goal is to get a secure home for both herself and for Naomi. By appealing to Boaz as a family redeemer, Ruth brings Naomi into the deal. Boaz will not only marry Ruth, 
he'll also take on responsibility for Naomi. Naomi seems to have given up on Boaz, Boaz taking on this responsibility, but, but Ruth has seen an opportunity and she's taken it. That is why Boaz responds the way he does. The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before. You have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. So Ruth had shown how faithful she was to Naomi by taking the risk of asking too much of Boaz. Indeed, if Ruth only wanted a husband, Boaz seems pretty sure she could have had her pick. Instead, she chooses Boaz to secure Naomi's future. Boaz is so impressed by this that he immediately snaps out of his inaction and outlines a plan of attack. Unfortunately, this plan does recognise a potential snag to Naomi and Ruth's strategies. There's another family redeemer. Could all this risk and potential scandal be for nothing? But even that, Boaz has a plan for. Stay here tonight, he tells Ruth, and in the morning I'll talk to him. If he's willing to redeem you, very well, let him marry you. But if he's not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Now lie down here until morning. So Ruth lay at Boaz's feet until the morning. But she got up before it was light, before it was light enough for people to recognize each other. For Boaz had said, no one must know that a woman was here at the threshing floor. See, it's scandalous. Right, just in case you were wondering. And to make sure that Ruth and Naomi knew that he was serious, Boaz gave Ruth a gift of about twice as much grain as she'd been taking home each day. And so this chapter ends with Ruth recounting the events of the night to Naomi. Will their plans succeed? Will the widows end up protected by the noble Boaz? Or will they become the property of this unnamed kinsman? Stay tuned and find out next week. No pressure, Stephen. <laughs> Personally, I'm just glad you got Ruth Perea. I'm happy to take that. That's a tricky one. <laughs> so that's the end of the sermon. No, of course it's not the end of the sermon. You can't end a sermon like that, can you? So <clears throat> we don't just read the Bible for entertainment, even when it is entertaining. It's God's Word. It somehow The Bible somehow speaks to us. So what's it saying here? If we take a step back and and look at the events of this chapter, we can see that Naomi has decided that she needs to work with God. She devises a risky and risque plan, see puns, got to listen to them, to ensure Ruth's future. Now, if God were puritanical, perhaps he would have abandoned Naomi and Ruth because of their presumption and how far they pushed the moral boundaries of the, of the era. But of course, God isn't puritanical. It's easy to forget, perhaps, that Boaz's mother was Rahab, the Canaanite prostitute who threw her lot in with Israel. I'm sure that this experience would have made Boaz far more open to Ruth's appeal than if his mother had been a more ordinary Israelite. So we 
may look at people's history or some of their actions and judge them harshly. But God's standards are actually quite different. When a human being attempts to work with God, to bless another, God honours that. God honoured Rahab's actions and the spies' promises to her. And her section of the wall of Jericho didn't fall down. It remained standing. And she became a part of Israel. And here God honours Ruth's advances to Boaz to provide for Naomi as much as, if not more than, to provide for herself. So it's important to note that even though God was at work providing for Naomi and Ruth, they didn't sit back and wait for all good things to just fall into their laps. Rather, they worked. Ruth gleaned Boaz's fields and she, she obeyed Naomi. Naomi schemed. Ruth tweaked Naomi's scheming. And God worked through all of this. As human and as earthy as it was. God didn't look at Naomi's plan and say, that plan is way too sexually provocative. I cannot support it. <coughs> now, I'm not saying that you should fill your spiritual plans with double entendres, okay? Or push the moral limits of the era. But what I am saying is that God uses our humanity. Even when it's shot through with failure and sin. The worst thing that you can do is sit on your hands and do nothing or actively block God's plan, obviously. Now, I'm sure you've heard the story about the guy who was caught in a flood. He climbed onto the roof of his house and, and prayed to God to rescue him. As he was praying, a person in a kayak came by and shouted to him to come down into the kayak. Nope, God will rescue me, the man shouted back. Sometime later, as the water rose further, a rescue boat powered up to the house and hailed him. Go away, he yelled back. I'm waiting for God's rescue. Finally, a rescue helicopter hovered overhead and dropped a line down. But the man waved them off too. At last, the flood swept him and his house away. As he stood before St. Peter at the gates of heaven, he demanded, Why didn't God rescue me? St. Peter replied, Well, he sent you a kayak a rescue boat, and even a helicopter. What were you expecting? <laughs> you see, we need to work with God. Our work is always going to be less than perfect. But God knows that, and he honours it anyway. Now let's appreciate this perspective as we listen to this chapter together. Now, I've got a, a, an dramatized audio version of this chapter. So let's listen together. <clears throat> 